Hi there, I'm Andrea Koppel, and it's time for Coffee, the podcast where you get to hear firsthand what the jobs and careers that interest you the most are really like. Hey there, Java junkies, what's going on? How's life? How's school? How's work or the internship going this semester? Speaking of internships, I have the most wonderful group of young people who are working with me this semester. And I want to give a big shout out to Jeremy up at Middlebury, to Lindsay at the University of Maryland, and to Riley and Abby at GW University. They are so hardworking and enthusiastic and just plain delightful to work with. They're actually helping me raise the profile of T4C on college and university campuses. So if you're a Java junkie who's still in school, please help us spread the word through your sorority or fraternity or the clubs and activities that you're engaged in. We need to share the love of Java and jobs far and wide. And if you haven't already signed up for the Java Junkies Journal, that's the weekly newsletter that gives you a heads up on what T4C episodes are dropping that week, head on over to the T4C website at time, the number four coffee.org. But before you do that, grab your mug and take a chug of your favorite caffeinated beverage because it's time for another caffeinated career conversation. And my guest this episode is a woman who exudes such amazing positive energy every time I see her. And she's a working mom with three children and not just any working mom. She's a lawyer who loves what she does. Sarah Smith is a special counsel with the Board of Governors of the Federal Reserve System in Washington, D.C. And she's also one of my neighbors. How lucky am I? Sarah, Welcome to Time for Coffee. Are you caffeinated and ready to go? Very much so. And so glad to be here. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. Java Junkies, we're actually doing this interview in my home. So I have the pleasure of sitting right next to Sarah rather than doing this over Skype audio as I usually am. So Sarah, I want to get into what you do as a special counsel at the Federal Reserve, and maybe we should begin by explaining to Java junkies what the Federal Reserve is, what it does, and then we can get into how you fit into it. Sure, absolutely. So the Federal Reserve Board is the government agency that was statutorily created to conduct monetary policy, promote financial system stability, help with banking payment systems, and also, very important, the consumer protection and banking regulation function. So basically, the Federal Reserve is the central bank for the United States. And I've been there for almost six years following a career in the private sector prior to that. And it's a terrific agency to work for. And so what do you do as a special counsel who has expertise in commercial real estate, construction, and business transactions? Sure. So I, for many years, served as outside counsel to the Federal Reserve in my capacity as a lawyer at a big DC law firm. And several years ago, Fed and I discussed the opportunity for me to come in-house and essentially provide legal support for the Fed's business operations, 
including the Fed's real estate and capital construction projects. The Fed grew significantly in size following the financial downturn and the implementation of the Dodd-Frank Act, where a lot of the regulatory responsibilities for the Fed increased. And so as part of that, the Feds needed more physical space, but also needed to fine-tune its existing space to better support the workforce and essentially the agency's mission. See, I was thinking the Fed is one building. Well, originally it was back in the day, and it has grown from there. So give us a sense of like what you're doing on an average day. Sure. So on an average day, I might be having a meeting on a major capital project we're doing, a building renovation or contracts relating to some space that we lease in Washington, D.C. I might be having a meeting with the general counsel's office from one of the Federal Reserve Banks in one of the 12 districts around the country to talk about a joint contract that we participate in or maybe an issue or dispute that that's come up in some type of business arrangement that we have. I might be providing advice or strategic input on how best to achieve some services or goods that we're looking for as competitively as possible. It's really a kitchen sink, essentially, of providing support for the day-to-day business operations for the agency. So is most of your day spent in your office or in a conference room at the Fed, or do you have to travel at all? Do you have to go and see any of these properties? How does that work? So that's a great question. And the answer is most of my day is spent in conference rooms, in meetings, at my desk, and usually on my headset, on my phone in my desk. I'm a big headset user because I like to pace and walk around while I'm on a conference call and I just can't be attached to the cord, essentially. But yeah, that's what I'm doing. Answering emails, looking at contracts, analyzing certain provisions to figure out what our rights are, what our remedies may be, and then tying that back to the overall business objective to make suggestions on the strategy. I'm just thinking of Mm -hmm. Java junkies right now and maybe where their own self-awareness can come into play. Do you think in order to be happy in a job like yours, you need to be able to kind of sit? I mean, I I recognize you're pacing in your office, but this is not like you're a staffer on the hill where you're probably logging 10 miles a day, running back and forth, following your member to the floor or to various meetings. Like, so you need to be somebody who has some sitting power. Yes. I mean, you need to be able to, and, and, you know, being a lawyer essentially is being able to get into the weeds and do the analysis and Oftentimes, that's the analysis of an issue that you're reading about, and that's unfolding to you in a in a in a paper, a contract, something like that. So, yes, you do need to be able to have that. But you touch on a great point, which is getting up, moving, finding a way to not be tied to your desk is really important. And something to keep in mind, even when you're starting your career, if I can meet with somebody in person, if it's convenient to do so, if I can get to the other floor down the hall to our building across the street or our building a few blocks away. I will always try to have that meeting in person and get myself out there and have some time to think and prepare while getting the heart going a little bit. That's good to do. Should always try to do that. How did you end up, you said a short time ago that you were initially outside counsel Mm -hmm. to the Fed. How did you end up even with the Fed as a client? Great question. So when I was a first year associate, 
at the law firm. The Fed had used my mentor as the law at the law firm as their outside counsel, I think going back certainly to the 1990s, but maybe even back to the 1980s as outside real estate and construction counsel, because they did not, the Fed's legal division is largely comprised of banking lawyers and regulatory lawyers. So they didn't have that expertise in-house. My mentor was their lawyer. I was the young associate. And in 2001, the Fed had an opportunity to acquire a another building that they needed to expand into. So I assisted as a first year lawyer with the acquisition of that building. And then as time went on, still in the capacity of being outside counsel, I assisted in various other real estate and construction matters over the years for probably the next 10 years following that. We did discuss this in the espresso shots, Mm -hmm. but as these episodes don't air together, could you share with Java Junkies what the vibe is like at the Fed? What is the atmosphere like working in this extraordinary building with really extraordinary people? Sure. So it's very collaborative, very collegial, not to use a gender specific term, but it's a very gentlemanly organization. People are very respectful of each other, of each other's time, of each other's expertise. It's it's a terrific working environment because it nurtures growth and advancement for people at the most junior levels to advance in their careers, but also really recognizes that everybody brings something to the table as far as their own expertise, their own opinion, their own point of view. And I think for that reason, the job satisfaction there at the agency level is very high. That's fantastic. Sarah, let's flash back a little bit to when you were a Java junkie at the University of Michigan and you got a BA in political science and communications. You were a double major. Did you know what you were going to do with that degree? I didn't. So that even goes back. I mean, my path really goes back to high school where I became interested in the school newspaper at my high school. My grandfather had been a journalist. He was a newspaperman, an old school newspaperman. And so I was raised in that environment of newspapers everywhere, everybody reading the importance of having the most, you know, the key information up front. You're going to lose your readers as the article goes on. Those sort of hallmarks of old school written journalism. And I really enjoyed the school newspaper. I learned that there, the importance of being a good writer and an efficient communicator. And so I always felt like that was part of me and what I excelled at. And I wanted to incorporate that into my undergraduate studies, but I also wanted to do sort of the traditional liberal arts study as well. So that was where the political science and the communications and you know what, maybe one's going to be my traditional education, but the other one's going to be the more useful practical piece to launch me in the future. And what about extracurriculars or clubs or faith groups Mm -hmm. or what, how did you fill your time outside of classes? And do you think in hindsight, Sarah, that some of those engagements actually did help you when you went out into the professional world and decided that you were going to go into the field of law? So that's a great question. I've always had interests outside of whatever my job was at that time. And and obviously in those early years, your job is school, but be it church, be it different service groups, I've always been involved in community service at different levels, at different points in my life, always looking for leadership opportunities, whether it's for the school newspaper or 
or an athletic team, whatever it was, always had those interests, always had groups of friends in those different places. And really, I just think you learn, you learn different things about yourself in those environments, what you're capable of doing. You're getting feedback from peers and from leaders or supervisors in those settings on skills that maybe you didn't even realize you had or you excelled in. And then you suddenly have the confidence to take those the next, you know, to the next step. And so I I really do feel strongly that being involved in lots of different things, first of all, is great in being a person, but also really just grows, grows you. I mean, yeah, I totally you. agree. Yeah. So community service, can you give us some examples of the kinds of things that you like to do? Sure. So in law school, I had something really just drop in my lap where I went to Emory University Law School and there was a student run organization in the law school called the Emory Public Interest Committee. And I was involved in that committee from day one at the beginning of law school. And by the end of law school was the president of that committee. Wow. Terrific experience. It was a committee that focused on legal give back. So letting young law students participate in different places in the community to provide legal services in the way that we could in law school. But it was it was terrific. But before I went to law school, and this kind of is it was it was a segue to law school, I, I took a gap year in between undergraduate and undergraduate school and law school, just to make sure that going to law school was something I really wanted to do. It was going to be a huge time commitment. It was going to be a huge investment. And I knew that law school would ultimately have a huge role in the trajectory of my life. And so I really wanted to make sure it was what I wanted to do. So I took that gap year and I interned. I split my week interning between two different organizations. One was the public defender's office and the other one was a legal community services program for the homeless and both unpaid positions. And then at night I was a waitress to actually make money and pay for life. But in these two positions, I really learned so much. And the legal services for the homeless, I essentially got to do like paralegal advocacy work and help the homeless population get the most basic things, but I'll get a birth certificate, get a copy of your birth certificate. So you could then go get your driver's license. So you could actually go apply for a job. And then maybe once you had the job, actually be able to make some money and have rent and then not be homeless anymore. I mean, it's sort of a vicious cycle that starts at the most basic building blocks. I became so invested at that when I got to law school, I was talking with the career services department about what I had done in this gap year. And they said, we don't have an organization like that here. We have our public interest committee, but we think our law students here would want to do that kind of work. And so I essentially started this organization in law school. Oh my! And I used the contacts I had already established that year to, I brought them into the school. I had about 25 students sign up and we had these students out. I created like a rotating schedule. In the evenings, we would go to homeless shelters and based basically go out into the community and help people get the documentation that they needed to move forward in life. How has being of service in a volunteer capacity affected you? I just think giving back, we all have a responsibility as humans to understand and appreciate the gifts that we've been given, not just financial gifts, but just intellectual gifts. If you have the ability to help out in any way, physical gifts, if you 
have any type of ability to help others, I I just think it's so important. And and there's always a way and it doesn't have to be a two hour a week, five hour a week, whatever commitment. It can be a little bit here and there. Life changes. You have ebbs and flows in your own life and your own sort of bandwidth to do that. And so it doesn't always have to be the same thing all the time. But I, I do feel strongly you should always have your hand in something where you're giving back in some way to your community. How has it changed you doing this work? Well, I think the fact is, is that it makes me personally feel like a broader, more open-minded person because I'm not just looking myopically in my own day-to-day, my own work, my own family, my own friends. I'm looking beyond that at sort of the greater world around me and really having an understanding and appreciation that there's so much going on in the world and we can all play a small part in improving it. I know personally, I have always felt, it's almost trite to say, but I tend to feel happier after I've done something of service. I feel, you know, it's one thing when you do something for yourself, like you get a massage or you go get a manicure or something that always feels good, Mm -hmm. but it's a different kind of a deeper Mm -hmm. sense of happiness because you feel like you have changed someone's day, maybe even more than their day, maybe their ability to get a job in the case of helping them to get their driver's license. I mean, all of these different ways that you can actually make yourself feel happier. Yeah. Well, and you touch on a great point because self-care and self-health is huge and something to, you know, doing those little things for yourself to make you feel better from a self-care standpoint. But um, doing good things for others actually makes you feel better and happier. So I almost think like community service and self-care are somewhat intertwined in some regard because you feel better, you feel proud, you feel happy, you feel perhaps like you're doing your part a little bit and you're not just taking these gifts that you have for granted. And so I almost think that is a tie-in to self-care. Absolutely. So you mentioned that you took this gap year after Mm -hmm. you graduated from Michigan Mm -hmm. and you were split splitting your daytime hours between two unpaid internships, basically. Yes. But what did you get out of being waitress? Well, (laughs) that's actually going back to my newspaper. My grandfather always said to me when I was younger, if when he would take me out to eat or we would be having lunch together, he would say, always be nice to the waitress. This is the hardest job you can have. This is not an easy job, not for the faint of heart. And what I've realized, I have been like a wait. I was a waitress in high school. I did this. Oh, this was always my go-to to make money because you have to be able to multitask and you have to have amazing people skills. And it really pushes you to connect and This has served me well in business, reading body language, reading cues, knowing your audience. Those are huge life skills that you need to have. So not only was waitressing a way to make money, but it was a way for me to have confidence and feel like I could put myself out there and be okay. Yeah. And you have to have a good memory because yes. you have to know the daily specials. Yep. And there's so <laughs> yeah. many things that yeah. you get out of it that go beyond the like good money yes. you can make, hopefully in yep. tips. Yep. Right. So Sarah, one of the questions that I try to ask all time for coffee guests is to share a time, a moment, 
in your profession, when you struggled, I often share the story about how when I was 43 years old and Mm -hmm. I'd been a journalist for 20 years, Mm -hmm. 14 of them at CNN, and they basically didn't renew my contract. And there I was. I had to go out. I decided not to continue in journalism and I had to reinvent myself. Mm -hmm. But there were many other times in my career when I had a jerk for a boss or colleagues who were unpleasant. Mm -hmm. Do you have a story that you could share with our Java Junkie community of a difficult time for you and even more importantly, how you came through the other side? Sure, sure. Well, I had two, two notable ones that have stuck with me. The first one was my very first month as an associate at the big DC law firm and sort of the reality hitting that this was it. This was life. These long days, this day in, day out, there was no summer vacation. There was no more spring break or winter break because school was now officially over. And it was like, I work like this is what I do every single day. Wow. Am I going to, is this going to make me happy? But eventually you get into your rhythm and you start to feel confident about your successes and you're learning so much that I I got over that. That was fine. I would say the other difficult point was the fork in the road when my path was going to be to either sort of stay at the big law firm or take this opportunity to move to the Federal Reserve. And And we should say, I'm sorry to interrupt, we should tell Java junkies that you were a partner at the big law firm Venable. Yeah. So you had a Big job. Yeah. So I I went through the ranks, which in itself is a story as being a young female lawyer, especially. I mean, now, even in the 18 years since I've graduated law school, there are so many more women in this industry who are moving up the ranks. But when I started at the big law firm, there were not that many women partners. And it became clear why as the years went by. But it's a it's a very hard way to make a living being a lawyer at a big law firm. You are working nonstop. And when you are not working, you're worried that where's the business and they're always trying to drum up the business and find the clients. And there will always be those lawyers who the clients seem to fall in their laps and you're trying to figure out what's their recipe for success. And then you realize some of it is just going to be good old fashioned luck. Obviously, a lot of it is skill. But the fork in the road really for me there was kind of coming to this realization. I had three young kids I had a very, very, very good friend uh, have an experience with breast cancer that was scary and sort of, you know, a light bulb moment for all of us in this group of friends that life really, you just, there's no guarantees in life. You have to be completely happy or striving for happiness in what you're doing. And you really owe it to yourself. Like you can't go through life complaining. You have to just make the change and embrace the change and embrace the unknown. And so I was trying to think ahead to my life. And did I see myself? I was looking around and the law firm, listen, the lawyers that are there have are dedicated. They've provided amazing service to their clients over the years, but there are lawyers that this is what they've done. They have not left this building in 40 years. They've had the same office, the same clients, many of them for all these years. And this was it. And I felt like for me, there was supposed to be at least another chapter, at least an expansion of my identity and who I was and what I could kind of look back when I was older and say, I did this in life. And I felt like for me, I just needed something different. And maybe there will be another chapter also. It's amazing. Once you rip the bandaid off, 
you suddenly realize you can do it. You can change. You can reinvent yourself. You can be the same self in a different setting. I, I mean, the world is truly your oyster. I hear you. And yeah. hello, yeah. I'm on yeah. my fourth profession. Yeah. Yeah. So I totally agree with you a thousand percent. So Sarah, final time for coffee question. Okay. If you could go back to college, mm-hmm. to the University of Michigan, or wherever you mm-hmm. would, another school, mm-hmm. and do it all over again, but based on the wisdom that you have now, what advice would you give yourself? So for me personally, and I mentioned this in my espresso shot, the only thing I would have changed, first of all, I loved University of Michigan, amazing school. Me personally, I probably would have chosen a warmer school. (laughs) Uh, I think I've realized that I like a little bit warmer climate than that, but it was a phenomenal, phenomenal place to be in school. My professors were terrific, terrific education. For me, I realized that once I was going down the path of business, business law, business transactions, I probably would have wanted to gotten a business degree at some point. So whether I did not want to get an undergraduate business degree because you end up spending two years at least just doing that. So I think an MBA would have been the right move for me. And it's never too late, but that's probably the advice I would give. If you really think you're going to be interested in business or entrepreneurism, and it's hard with time and finances to justify more and more and more school. But I do think an undergraduate business degree or an MBA is invaluable. Sarah Smith, thank you so much for making time on a Saturday to have coffee with me and share your wisdom, your lessons learned with the Java Junkie community. Thank you. This has been a pleasure. Thanks so much for listening to Time for Coffee, where the professionals in the jobs that most interest you always have time to grab coffee 24-7, no matter where you live. I have one quick favor to ask you. Remember to rate, review, and subscribe to Time for Coffee. Thanks so much.